You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Accounted For, everybody. Happy hump day. Happy Wednesday. This is the podcast on a mission to inspire unconventional careers out of you, and it's a part of OMD Ventures, my platform on a mission to create utopian organizations. What does that mean? Well, learn and find out by going to omdventures.com and you can go to the about page, the vision page, all that, and learn more about what I'm trying to create with the platform and also mean more about the podcast too if you don't really know what started all this. There's a backstory there too. And if you'd like to engage with me further and ask me questions about careers, etc., please go ahead and shoot me a message at um, the contact page, omdventures.com slash contact. And if you just go to the website, it's very intuitive, very easy for you to send me an email. I love hearing from all you, my listeners. And yeah, I would love to help out any way I can to your career dilemmas or maybe even life dilemmas. Who knows? Also, you can also stay in touch by subscribing to my weekly newsletter. It's pretty exclusive because I write about the stuff that happens in my life every week. And that's not available anywhere else except the newsletter. So sign up. It's a weekly thing. And you get to keep track of all the other stuff like the essay podcast and the daily learnings, etc. Okay, cool. Now that's settled. Today's guest is Sean Huang. He is the founder and CEO of 36 Paths. So that's 36 different paths, P-A-T-H-S. I noticed that I'm not very good at pronouncing that word. So I just want to carefully line that out. 36 Paths is a career accelerator based in Toronto. And this kind of is a pretty cool story here because Sean immigrated to Canada as an international student from a city two hours outside of Shanghai, China. And despite having a family tree filled with academics in all subjects of science, and I'm not exaggerating, I think like father's side, mother's side, grandparents, everyone's got some kind of PhD and some kind of the big six or the big three science groups. Yeah, it's, it's insane. But despite that, he decided to study business to chase an internal entrepreneurial fire that had him sell soda cans as a kid. I think he started drop shipping shoes as a kid through Alibaba. And all that kind of led to really building a career in finance as an investment banker and later on as a product manager for a fintech startup in Toronto. But after that, he made the leap to go full-time into his career accelerator that helps international students like himself get jobs in various business careers aka places like finance accounting consulting etc all the professional services places that he had difficulty getting into in his own first tryout and so in our chat we talk about his journey starting 36 paths kind of the details of what got him into it and how he started while he was actually working the cultural differences between shanghai and toronto from not just a societal culturally different lens but also specifically try to go into the business field about how um we the culture kind of results in a different corporate culture as well and we also talk about what the first six months of his solopreneurship journey has been like it's it's honestly been a conversation i really enjoyed having 
and a lot of it also not just because I get to learn new stuff about Sean but also because we get to go quite deep and real into sharing the things that we both experienced on in our first six months of this journey this shit sandwich that we ate <laughs> on our respective journeys and so that was pretty fun I would say we it's like talking to kindred spirit of sorts and you might actually get a lot of value out of that too because it's kind of like having two people validate something and we also learned that we are not alone in feeling like this so if you feel down in your own journey this might be a great episode to listen to so that you also realize that you are not alone in feeling like that because everyone else on the weird unconventional journey will feel that too all right I've been blabbering on long enough. So here is my conversation with Sean. Hey everyone, welcome back to Count It For. Today on the podcast, we have Sean Huang. He is the founder and CEO of 36 Paths. Hey Sean, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Daniel. And so for our guests who may not be familiar with your company, can you tell us what 36 Paths does? Sure. Yeah, so 36 Paths is essentially a career accelerator. Um, that's focused on helping university students and young professionals to, you know, break into the industry of financial services or management consulting. Um, we primarily help guys with very limited Canadian experience or international students um, because I found them struggle the most with their career journey and, and there's a huge information asymmetry and lack of understanding in terms of culture, communication, um, you know, insider tips in order to get into those industries. Um, so what I do is is think about it as a you know Airbnb for career coaching, right? So you have mentors who work in different industries like capital markets, investment banking, management consulting, and you have a bunch of students last year in their university or um, just graduated wanted to break break into those industries. So I match them up and have those industry mentors to basically teach them teach them whatever it takes to get those in, get into those industries, such as you know having a better understanding of the industry, um, you know, helping them with their resume, cover letter, um, mock interviews, networking skills. So basically kind of end-to-end process until they land an offer. And uh, and yeah, okay. that's kind of what we do in a nutshell. Nice. That's a very succinct explanation. And the name 36 Pats, what are the 36 Pats? That's- oh, that's a tough one. I can't even name all the 30, 36 Pats, but... Uh, the origin of the name is that um, uh, there's an old saying in, in, in China, in ancient China, when, you know, um, the uh, the emperor was first initially, originally kind of creating different career categories. The very first time there was there was 36 paths in total. Oh. And it eventually kind of, you know, got expanded to 3,600, 33,000. I'm sure there are different type of occupations now, but 36 paths is kind of the very first time when the emperor was... Um, kind of establishing all the different career paths available. Um, oh. So you have like merchant, you know, government official, uh, tailor. Um, so that was kind of the one. Of, and, and I guess what I wanted to, the reason I decided to choose this name is because, well, first, this is available. And secondly, because uh, it's something that, because I have a lot of my clients or customers are from China because I had a Chinese background. And it's something that resonate resonate well with them, and uh, and it's kind of um, c- congruent with the um, you know the company's mission as well. Right, right. So right. whatever it's it's kind of like whatever career path you decide to take, 
um, as long as you're committed to it and, you know, um, you, you, you love what you do, you love the work, you fall in love with the work and, and you'll be really successful. And so it's, it seems like, yeah, like you, your company's focused on a lot of international clients from China and yeah. your company name definitely speaks for it. So I'm, I'm going to guess that you were born in China. Like, is that Correct. your origin? Yeah. So, yeah. So my, um, I guess my background, um, I was born and raised in China. And uh, where specifically in where is Shanghai? Shan- it's actually two. I usually tell people Shanghai because that's a big city they know, but it's actually two hour away train okay. by train. It's more like um, you know Barry of of uh, of Toronto, I guess that uh, relationship. But if I tell them the name, it's it's actually called Hefei. That's uh, that's where I was born, um, but it's two hour train from from Shanghai, just at uh, just further west. Gotcha. Yeah, and so you. You grew up there the whole time, and then I think you um, you went to university in Shanghai as well. Yeah. Right? So yeah. So Hefei, for people that don't understand, it's um, I would say it's probably probably a tier two city. It's more like a Mississauga. It's not Barry. That's not fair. <laughs> it's, it's, okay. It's a pretty it's a pretty big city. It's yeah. a pretty big city. Yeah, okay, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably just a bit smaller than actually. I think yeah. It's probably a bit smaller than Toronto, but definitely more developed than Mississauga, just in terms of like skyscrapers. I and, can imagine commercial yeah. activity. You know the Asian cities, right? Um, it's not as developed as Shanghai or, or Hong Kong, but uh, but it's but it's up there. It's hard to compete with Shanghai or Hong Kong oh, for, for most sure. cities, right? Yeah. I think it's, it's tough. So I guess you could say like if, if Hefei was a city in Canada, it'd probably be in the top ten major cities. It's probably oh for sure <laughs> in in Canada. I mean, I I look it up on Google. Mississauga's number six. When I was when I was deciding to come over to Canada, I'm like because I went to UTM, so University of Toronto, Mississauga campus. And I look it up. I'm like, I know Toronto is a big city, right? Um, I'm like, well, what is Mississauga? I, I don't even know how to pronounce the name. By the time I was in China, I'm like, okay, this sounds interesting. And I look it up on Baidu, which is Chinese version of Google, and, and shows up. Oh, the largest, uh, sixth largest city in Canada with you know whatever the by population or whatever. I'm like, okay, I should be in good shape. Like I, I'm a I'm a big city guy. I want to be in a city. And, and when I got there, I'm like, oh man, that is the sixth largest city in Canada. That's depressing. You know, I was waiting for the bus for like half an hour when I was at UTM, but um, but yeah. So I grew up in in Hefei, and uh, and um, I always wanted to explore. I guess I'm I'm more always kind of curious type of guy. Yeah. So I wanted to see you know the bigger city, the, the the kind of the other side of the world, and and Shanghai became kind of a natural choice for me because you know I was I was determined determined to major in like um, you know uh, BCom or BBA. At that time, and I thought, you know, Shanghai is the the kind of most commercial city in, in mainland China, and uh, and I was in a program where um, I, I got an opportunity to do a double degree, where my second degree came from Australian University, so I got that kind of Western exposure as well, which is what I was hoping to to get, um, and uh, yeah, it turns out to be a great choice looking back, I think. Hmm. And when you're growing up, what like I'm gonna take you kind of back to like. Maybe you're like seven yeah. or like ten or something. Yeah. You know when you start school and teachers ask you, "What do you want? What's your dream job?" Like, what was yours back then? I think okay, yeah. When I was a kid, I always wanted to become like a business owner. Like, frankly, yeah, I was. I was always pretty good. Like, I was always kind of having that entrepreneurial fire in me. Oh. And when I was even in elementary school, I was like, you know. Um, collecting you know uh, uh pepsi cans and stuff like that and from like my neighbors and 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 and, and pile them up and sell to the um you know uh the recycling company 
for some you know pocket money and um and when i was in my middle school i was at that time alibaba was just getting popular and a lot of i'm more i guess i get i, I i'm more interesting exploring new things and i was more um knowledgeable in e-commerce at that time so i got into kind of buying you know sneakers on on alibaba and or taobao in china and 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 sell back to my classmates and, and pocket the difference because you know the shoes in the retail stores are much more expensive because of the middleman right versus alibaba's more you know direct consumer so i was able to kind of arbitrage that until everyone was on top of so i i got a you know big basically um the business idea was was short-lived but but it was profitable wow <laughs> so it, were your parents entrepreneurs not at all F- funny enough yeah like my my dad was uh my dad still is a university professor teaching C plus plus, so like computer science. Um, my mom worked and works in the government in in agriculture and and fishery business. Um, so and and my, both my grandparents, my uncles on my mom and dad side, are all kind of academic route. So they did you know PhD, you teaching at universities. So I was kind of an outlier in a sense that I, I'm more interested in business. And everyone's like, oh, why don't you major in math or physics or chemistry or biology, which is what my mom did biology. My dad did computer science. My uncle did chemistry. My, um, uh, my the other uncle did, you know, physics. And, and, and my grandmother on my dad's side did math. And my grandfather on my dad's side also did uh, uh, chemistry. So it's like, Oh, well, you want to do business? Why? Like people don't get it, but and and it's just kind of you're just like proving out this that Asian stereotype. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> it's a stereotype because it's true. Because my entire family tree, <laughs> everyone's done every kind of science out yeah, there. Yeah, I, I just I just didn't I, I just find it like those you know I I, I was good at math, mm. um, but I wasn't as interested in kind of um, science. I find it too theoretical when I was in high school, and I found the business world more interesting because you get to relate to people. And, and I was always, you know, um, interested in kind of making money, making profits and stuff like that. So very much a capitalism in a, in a communist country, funny enough. Um, yeah, I'm wondering, where did you get that influence from if you didn't get it from your family at such an early age to have the idea of just, I'm going to sell yeah. Pepsi cans, I want to make profit and doing like drop shipping before it was <laughs> cool. Yeah, so I, I think there was a bit of influence on my grandfather on my mom's side. So she, oh, sorry, he, um, he, he used to like trade stocks a lot. So he took me to like stock exchange and I, and I was looking at the board, right? Like there's red and green and funny enough, like in China, the, the green actually is, is losing money. It's the same in Korea too. Oh really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's strange, but yeah. When I was um, investing in Korea, um, yeah. uh, when in my like past job more, I was, I'd look at Korean stocks and mm-hmm. why, why is it all red? <laughs> it, yeah. But it's going up. Right. Right. <laughs> Yeah, when I first came to, to, to Canada, I was shocked. I'm like, wow, completely opposite. But right. it's interesting to know that Korea is like China too. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's why I got interested. That, at that time, I was really small. I, I, don't, I don't think I was even in elementary school yet. I was like probably five and six. But I just I was just fascinated by the idea of like people, you know, going to a stock exchange and, you know, yelling at each other, trying to buy the next hot stock and, and making money. And at that time, is you know, stock certificates. There's no online trading, right? So I, I, I just got interested in it, I think, and I decided to pick up because my grandfather always had like, you know, that that financial news channel on TV and I just kind of subconsciously get influenced by that. And I thought it's more interesting. And, and, and I think it's a little by little, you, you gradually um, 
kind of um, decided to to move toward that path because you, the more experience you got, the more exposure you got, you found, and you, if you got some success from it, which I did, you know, through like, you know, selling, you know, basically collecting, you know, uh, Pepsi cans and stuff like that, and made some money and 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 did, you know, um, you know, uh, sneaker trading or you know, uh, arbitraging, I guess, yeah. um, and made some profits and thought, oh, wow, that's really cool. I wanted to learn more about the business more, I think. But I think the initial spark, I guess, probably is my grandfather. Yeah. And she also, owned, sorry, he also owned uh, um, uh, properties and stuff like that and rented out and he's like, he's more on the business side of things and I, I happened to just kind of got intrigued. Oh, that's, yeah, that's very fascinating. Like I, I was curious because, especially for people, um, I don't, out of the many guests I've had the great fortune of interviewing, I haven't had many who had a good chunk of their childhood in Asia, like yeah. myself. And I find, oh, you did too. Yeah. So I, I, I was born in um, South Korea. So I lived there for five years, and then moved to Hong Kong. So I lived in Hong Kong for another really? five years. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so I, and my my dad was in finance, and so I was I was in Hong Kong. Um, right after the Brits left. So it was still in the high, like it was booming, big right. e- economic hub. And so I grew up around always visiting my dad's like skyscraper offices, yeah. I was flying all over Asia um, because, yeah, the economy was doing well. Mm. And I I feel like my childhood dream at the time was I wanted to um, travel the world and yeah. go to safaris. And I, I was, I collected a lot of books on reptiles and animals and I yeah. always wanted to be like a zoologist and kind yeah. of like, do you know the crocodile hunter? Crocodile hunter sounds familiar. Yeah, so he, uh, Steve Irwin, he's a crocodile hunter. He just goes around and finds crocodiles, and he has like a whole TV show. And, like that's like what I wanted to be. I wanted to be in yeah. a jeep, have like a rifle, and just go <laughs> travel the world and find animals. And I feel like being in, uh, like being such a young kid living in Hong Kong, right. where I was a foreigner, even though yeah. I I look Asian, <laughs> but I I was very different right. from everyone else. And you don't speak the language. Yeah, and I was yeah. in an international school where everyone else was from everywhere else. And right. Right. Okay. I'm always traveling, so I just assume that this is normal. I'm probably gonna travel all my life, yeah. and that just became this thing ingrained in my mind. And yeah. like Toronto is like the sixth city that I've lived in, and oh, wow. that just continues on. I think, but it's always fascinating to hear because I find a lot of Canadians when they grow up in Canada, a lot of kind of guys at least specifically kind of dream up of I'm gonna be a, in the NHL, play hockey, yeah, or yeah, yeah. you know something similar that right, way, right. Um, more stereotypically Canadian. But yeah. I, I'm always curious of what the other kids who grew up in Asia go through right mm-hmm. um so that's been very fascinating for me and so you you had the the great you know it, it seems cool you got to go to uh study in shanghai and then you also went to the university of technology at sydney and did yeah. a dual degree there i've never had the chance to go to australia but i'm very curious on um from what you've observed from your time in like sydney and you compared to toronto at least like what what are the differences in culture right I'm going to tell you right now that I never been to Australia, even though I really? got Australian university. Okay, degree. so that's so how it. so how it works is actually um, they have a Shanghai campus for University of Technology Sydney, Australia. Um, so the professors fly over. We don't have to actually go to Sydney to get that degree, which is interesting and, and it's getting popular. If you look at New York University, it has a campus in Shanghai. Um, there are a few other schools um, have like the campuses similar to like INSEAD have you know the uh, singapore campus right so um yeah a lot of those you know kind of famous universities i'm not even famous like a lot of kind of western universities are setting up campuses in asia to basically um i don't know profit from it and 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 also it's uh i don't know it's uh it's just getting really popular i think a lot of times people in asia um especially in china they 
the um, they value very highly of you know a Western degree, um, and and not only just experience, but of being able to speak English well, or is going to be tremendously helpful in terms of your job search, even in China, uh, especially in you know cities like Shanghai where there are a lot of expats and and, and kind of multinational co- uh, corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. Okay. Huh. That's uh that's <laughs> sort of disappointing you. No, that's all right, man. But that's a that's a cool loophole that I didn't like, consider. Yeah, I think I actually as you mentioned, I think my like the London School of Economics has something like that in mm-hmm. China too. A few of my friends did that. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a pretty cool development though to see the kind of change in universities. Yeah. Well, it's okay. I I don't think I'll be disappointed because you've still lived in Shanghai and you've also like worked in Shanghai. You, I think you like interned yeah. at like HSBC and right. you know since then you came to Toronto, you went to um, the Masters of Accounting program at U of T, yeah. and since then you've ha- had a financial career in Toronto. Like You've worked at Scotiabank in the yeah. debt capital market side, you've joined a boutique investment bank, yeah. Cantor Fitzgerald, yeah. worked there. So you've had an experience working in you know Shanghai and Toronto in like the financial world. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very curious on that too. Like, I've never been to Shanghai. Mm-hmm. It's definitely on my list of companies to go, uh, countries to go to after I get a visa. Yeah. But um, I'm, I'm very curious to like, see hear from like your experience like what are what are some differences that people would be very surprised to like hear mm-hmm. about yeah i think the biggest difference i notice is that um people in asia or people in china or in shanghai are just way more competitive and that's the nature of the sheer population right so you have a huge i don't know what's the number now it's like 1.5 billion or 1.6 billion people just in china and and, and Shanghai is the size of GTA, but give you some perspective, it's similar to like the population in Canada. Yeah, I think, isn't it like 80 million people something or something like that, yeah. in Shanghai alone? It's a massive city. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And we've got like 17 subway lines. But anyways, um, <laughs> the, the biggest difference in my opinion is that, yeah, people are just more competitive and, and they definitely work much harder. And, and, and I think they don't take things for granted as much as... Um, Canadians, I'm not saying it in a, in, a, in a negative way. I just think um, guys who were born and raised here have a privilege in terms of um, you know being a developed country, the freedom, you know the you know being able to go to, go to university is very normal. Versus back there, if you are not good at math, like good luck getting to any university at all, right? Like it's super competitive process, and for P, it's a you know it's a, it's a natural selection process where you have to do really well in high school in order to get good universities. And once you get to university, um, it, it's 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 um, you're you're basically in in a good shape, but you still have to work hard to get into you know corporations, especially under a lot of like traditional Chinese family. They have that mindset of okay, you know, if you want to have a successful life, you know, do well at high school or from when you start to go into school all the way to you know university and get good grades you know, land a good job in, you know, uh, a well-recognized corporation, have a good life, right? So that's, I think that mindset is, is very strong and, uh, and, uh, and, and kind of, I think, increase the competition level. Whereas here, you know, it, it's very, I'm not saying it's super easy, but it's not hard to go to university because I talk to my girlfriend all the time. I'm like, um, with your math skill and you can still get into University of Waterloo, that's shocking. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping that she she doesn't doesn't hear this but uh but uh i'm just being very honest um about like how the the, the differences i have been noticing i just think in, in in china 
super competitive to, to get into good universities and, 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 you know, good corporations as well. So whereas here it's, it's, it's fairly easier, I think. And what, was there like a particular moment where let's say kind of had like, you know, work in Toronto, whether it was at the investment bank or like at Scotia bank, uh, where you kind of experienced something and you thought, Hmm, this is very different from what I had to go through like back at like HSBC or like when you were like at PayPal in Shanghai. Yeah. There's like a cultural, like, like a working culture difference. For sure. For sure. That, in that aspect, I think the first thing that kind of shocked me or it wasn't a shocker, but I, I kind of knew that before, but it, it's a small talk, right? So let's say you, you work at, I don't know, um, EY or Scotiabank or whatever. You guys, you know, talk about every time you, every day you come in, you know, how was your weekend? You know, what did you do? How was your trip? And this and that. In China, I think people are more, especially like if you're a junior, like people are more about business, like get that stuff done. Like, I don't care how was your weekend. They, they don't do the small talk like that. Because I think partially because they think it's kind of fake. It's like a fake nice almost. And, and partially because it just much fast paced environment, right? Like think of New York times time you know, in cities like Hong Kong, Shanghai, I, I, I really believe. So versus Toronto, I think, well, it's probably fastest paced city in Canada, but it's relatively laid back compared to like most parts of Asia. Um, so people don't do the small talk the way we do. Oh, you know, how, did you go to see the Raptors game? This and that, like people don't talk about that as much. They do when they, you know, finally celebrate like year end party or some close major deals and, you know, they, they have fun on a dinner table, but um, when you're in office, it's more kind of straight to the business versus you know people talk small talk here a lot. Yeah, I think hmm, that's a, that's a. I guess yeah, like I've been in this North American culture for, for too long to realize the difference. But that's I didn't know that. I I'm also like thinking, um, you know, when when you're talking about like yeah, like the kind of fast pace, like the competition, like the things people do. I think that's definitely something um, people who grew up in Asia or had you know family work there you know if you've had that kind of influence it's something that you understand and yeah. you i think that's it helps with becoming very grateful to be in yeah, canada sure. and yeah like I, I think you you put it perfectly where it's like yeah like we're not saying people in toronto don't work hard you do like yeah. people in Toronto work hard and life is hard for everyone but <laughs> it, it's a relative thing where absolutely I, I think like even like you know korea was a i think korea at one point when we the country of bankrupt in like 1998 or something yeah. like we we were like the third poorest country in the world or something wow. or, oh, sorry this was after we were the third poorest country after i think it was um world war Two or like after the korean war like we were just dirt poor um right. people were like going through cannibalism and shit like that Damn. but yeah like, and shanghai wasn't rich either like it, no. it just kind of boomed really quickly right yeah. and so when you kind of come through that kind of i think uh culture you have this pace of competition where you, there's a scarcity effect there's so much people yeah like i tell people about how uh, i used to tell colleagues like oh yeah like if in korea like when you're a junior you you're oh man you're at a you're like a junior at a bank but you're going out like cleaning your boss's dress shoes that's normal you're cleaning yeah. you're picking up his lunch Laundry, oh that's normal yeah, yeah like normal. people here like, complain about bankers doing that and stuff but like yeah, getting but like you, coffee like that's nothing that's nothing yeah, yeah like you're, you're gonna get like yelled at like even like the application process, you have to put in like your photo because they're going to yeah. judge you by yep. your face. Yep. People here are like, oh, I can't believe you're going to judge me by my name. Like They're going to judge you by your face in like Asia. Age. Yeah, age. Yeah. If you're old, now you want someone orientation. Young. Yeah, yeah. For so, sure. Yeah, 100%. Just, there's none of that fit equality stuff there. No. I think that doesn't exist. And 
we're not saying it's right, but that's just the kind of that's world. Culture, yeah. yeah, that's, that's the world, world that people are coming in. in. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I remember like I, when I was in Hong Kong, I was a straight C student. <laughs> I was not academically good. And I came here, I became a straight A student. I'm right. not saying things are easier. Like I did start trying, but right. um, you know, there, there was a thing like my parents immigrated here because they believed that I wasn't going to be able to keep up with what was going on yeah. in Asia. Yeah. And I think there is that um, perspective that's very valuable to have when you're here. And then you go, okay, yeah, like, yeah. this is a great opportunity. <laughs> Absolutely. You feel very grateful. Yeah. And, right. and I'm curious, like, what, what other kind of uh, culturally different things have you noticed in like the business world between like Shanghai and Toronto? I'm just picking your brain on that because I'm no, just very sure. curious. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. I think another one that, that is very noticeable is that, um, you know, in, in China in, in general or Shanghai, doesn't matter where you are in China, um, when people do deal, businessmen do deals, it's done at a dinner table, right? So, um, or, or KTV, you know, or, or uh, you know, sauna room, right? That's where deals happen. Here is more like maybe dinner or golf or something like that, right? But it's 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 very different. Where you know, in 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 China, people like talk about business. They don't talk about business in in the conference room. They talk about business when they're kind of more have their um, mask off, so to speak, and they're they're they, they want to get to know you first. It's very much built on that kind of intrinsic trust or relationship. Whereas here is, it's more kind of business to business. And, you know, once we close a deal in the conference room and we had over for a couple of drinks, that's it. But there, like, if you wanted to sh- get business, get deals, you got to be able to drink, man. Like, if you can't drink, you're not going to do too well in China in terms of your business career. You, you got you to gotta be good at some baijiu. Baijiu, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. How many percent is that? Like 30%, usually, 40%? Usually it's at least 45. I've, oh. I've never seen, well, maybe 42 is the lowest, but usually like 50 is it's pretty much like half el- pure alcohol. Yeah. yeah, you're just drinking gasoline. Yeah. Then. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I remember, um, well, there's, there's two points that kind of popped into when I was talking like, when I, I remember when I started work, working um, in downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. I remember I had one manager who told me, I was very upset about something. I don't remember what, but what she said was, Dan, this business is not personal. And I replied back to her, all business is personal. This yeah. is personal. And yeah. I I couldn't wrap my head around why they, she was saying it's different. Like, well, how can it be different? It's a person-to-person thing. That's what business is. Right. And uh, I think it's like, that's like a direct... Uh, literal thing in China where you're doing right. a, per- a deal with a person because yeah you want to get to know a person yeah um, but I think yeah there's a bit of that in Western culture where they they want to try to separate that and be like let's look sure. at the numbers and be more objective or yeah. quote unquote rational about things when the reality is that people are not rational by definition yeah <laughs> I, yeah I don't think there is a better way of doing things I think just part of the culture mm-hmm. um, but I do I sometimes I do like the fact that you know in Canada things are you know, people are typically do better at compartmentalizing, right? Okay, so this is business. We'll deal with business. You know, after 5 p.m., I'm emotionally or mentally checked out and enjoy my time with my kids or, you know, with my wife, this and that. Versus in, in Asia or in China, right? It's, it's you know, it's on 24-7. It's, there, there's no, like, work-life balance. It's like, you, you, you know, you, in that kind of fast-paced environment, you're, you're pulled into work all the time. It's like you're trying to do a best to integrate your work and life rather than say, oh, and if I'm at uh, the bank after five, you know, I'm, I'm completely checked out, right? Um, that that just didn't 
doesn't happen in in China as as, as often. I'd actually like to get your uh, perspective on this one. Like, so in in Korea, they it, it's very similar to you where there's the working culture where you let's say you leave the office quote unquote at five, but yeah. then like you said, the deals happen at the dinner table and at the clubs and at the yeah. drinking bars. So yeah. no one actually leaves. Actually, gets to go home until like. 10 on p.m yeah. at the earliest or something right like, i remember i never saw my dad home before 10 yeah p.m. like he Probably always came to dinner table yeah like after right yeah whatever whatever he did that yeah. and i think it it's gotten to such a bad point in korean culture that um all the major corporations like samsung yeah. and like cj and both all these big companies in korea decided okay we're gonna only require you to go to the first bar you don't have to go to the next <laughs> three bars because that the average is three you go you're supposed yeah. to bar hop to like three for like every day yeah and so samsung put a freeze on like corporate credit cards until like 8 p.m or something so people can quote-unquote go home as of 8 p.m because the company's no longer gonna pay no longer gonna pay for your drinks right. but even then is that it's kind of said that oh yeah you're gonna be working quote-unquote till yeah. eight because you're gonna be serving drinks entertaining yeah. clients yeah yeah entertain clients entertain your boss like when you're a junior you're pouring drinks oh, for all your bosses and be better yeah like i was in a coffee shop in korea and the junior guys uh and the table beside me were, like stressing out about talent talent shows and stuff because like, i gotta learn dancing because i gotta perform in front of my boss right, and right yeah yeah because you're supposed to entertain the bosses that's Literally. what you are you're a junior yeah. they don't care about your brain yeah and that was really like it's very normal in korean yeah. work culture i'm curious about is it similar in china similar yeah. yeah you do whatever your boss tells you yeah, yeah. right yeah i remember a friend of mine came back from China and he's telling me, oh yeah, like I met up with my friend there and she couldn't come out and like hang with us because she's like, I have to go to this bar. That's where we, I'm going to close this deal. I'm yeah. going to close this deal at this bar. And I was like, oh wow. Yeah, even at the junior levels, everyone's got to do that. Even in China too. Wow. Yeah, well, it's, a lot of times it's that, let's say your boss doesn't want to drink as much, but you bought, you're on the team of your boss, right? So you basically pick up those drinks so that, so that your boss doesn't get drunk. So your boss can still make the speech and talk to the you know the business with the clients while you get you know completely drunk so and you're the body you take the bullets yeah i guess uh, th- that's very normal and if you want to you know career progression so to speak you better that's what i'm saying you better be able to drink a lot yeah oh man i would have been i'd out the awful in Asian yeah, that, that's why that's why i left <laughs> i because i i mean I, I enjoy you know a couple beers and here and there but i i, I don't want to you know basically every day or maybe like three out of five days you just have to you know um be there and, and and it's it's a lot of energy like you have to basically you know um entertain your clients and, and drink a lot and probably puke after like a, that's probably not a lifestyle one that's why i decided you know i want to you know come to canada and see see what's here yeah so i'm curious there like from shanghai to decide to come to mississauga and you know you, yeah. you picked toronto but it happened to be mississauga yeah like where how did that decision come about why canada like there's, great, great you know question. yeah there's like australia yeah. that's closer there's Much the u.s closer. yeah like why why canada and why accounting yeah so um so okay so first why canada um i was looking at different countries you know the popular spots were like australia um u.s um uk canada those are the four kind of popular countries for um you know uh, i guess chinese students to go for their advanced education um, I ruled out the states because actually, even, even though that my uncle and my cousin are in the states, my cousin is in Utah, uh, Salt Lake City, and my uh, my uncle has been living in the states at that time for like 15 years in uh, Dallas, Texas. 
but I didn't. I I just for some reason I just didn't like it. I think it's people are mean compared to Canada, and and their their um overall kind of the attitude and and policy too are not very friendly to international students and potential immigrants compared to Canada. I did my research, although with very limited on and off access to Google at the time, I had to climb the uh, firewall. <laughs> um, but the Great Wall or whatever you call it. Um, but uh, but yeah, like in Australia, I think um, because I wanted to like also be close to the states and potentially like maybe go to states. Um, and, and Canada has that advantage compared to Australia because Australia has equal, I think, re- relatively similar in terms of immigration and, and policy, pretty friendly too, part of the Commonwealth. Um, um, but um, I think they're just a bit further away from like what is actually happening in terms of finance and, and the business world. You know, you always talk about you know, New York or London, right? So um, UK got ruled out because of unfriendly kind of immigration policy as well. So it's mo- really just Canada and Australia, but you know, Canada is close to the States. Um, so if I ever wanted to be in the States, you know, geographically, you know, closer and also share similar um, culture compared to, I think Canada and US probably have the most similar cultures compared to any other two countries, in my opinion, in the developed world. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, 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 a, that's kind of the rationale behind a country. Um, and uh, why, why UFT? Uh, UFT because um, I wasn't too sure if I wanted to just basically stay in Canada. I wanted basically um, hedge myself by going to a university that people back in China would, you know, um, know. If I go to Laurier, be like, what is Laurier? Can't even pronounce that name, right? Like, University of Toronto, okay, got it, got it. Like, good school. <laughs> so that's, I'm trying to hedge myself by kind of getting that name, even though it's University of Toronto, Mississauga campus. It doesn't really show on a certificate. <laughs> so uh, so that that's why. And uh, and also because the program had um, two co-op terms. And I know that, you know, going to countries like U.S. and Canada, the, the um, local work experience is going to be tremendous. I think that's why I think Waterloo is such a good school because all the programs there have, you know, co-op terms. And by the time, you know, undergrad graduate, they have like one and a half or two years work experience. You just can't compete with that. And and for someone like myself who didn't get my undergrad there, I better have some, you know, um, internship experience during my master's so that I can, so that if I wanted to stay here and, 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 and you know, basically progress well in terms of, um, for my career, then, then that, that'd be the logical kind of move. And there are honestly not too many um, programs on the master level have, you know, co-op terms. I think another one would be uh, Laurier master finance they have like two co-op terms as well but like i said i'm trying to hedge myself so laurier is out um and yeah so accounting really again i was trying to hedge myself right so i was very much risk averse actually at that time um you know i i'm like okay, if i could like i i was never that interested in county um i did my kind of bba degree at uh, shanghai university so i basically took a bunch of different courses um wasn't that interested in accounting, but I thought, you know, if I can get a CPA, I wouldn't starve. I can at least go to, you know, PwC or Deloitte and become accountant. Um, but that didn't happen because I quickly realized how boring it is. And and and, and when my colleagues at U of T were trying to get into the big four, I'm like, ah, I want to do something more interesting, more more exciting. So, so yeah, those are hmm. those are my answers. Yeah, and and I 
I can relate to all that. Like um, <laughs> the hedging, the typical uh, Asian uh, family, or yeah, you know, like you you, you struggle mindset. with that, right? Yeah, yeah. you um, totally balancing that. Like yeah, when when I picked Waterloo, it it was challenging because you know there's the uh, my parents didn't know what Waterloo was, right? They didn't. I, I told them I'm going to this university. Well, I told them I got this offer from Waterloo, UT, like McGill, like all these places. And they knew McGill. They knew UT. They yeah, didn't know Waterloo. Yeah, yeah. And I told them, well, it's, it's a practical decision. This is, I think this is a better decision. Call. Yeah. And, uh, but even when I was making the decision as like the 17-year-old kid, it was, it was a struggle because culturally, totally. I felt I was going backwards against what my culture believed is more yeah. valuable. But yeah. I felt they were wrong. But it's hard right. to, hard to, I think balance it. even even now I feel it's hard, but absolutely at a young age as you as you still grow, like it's it's a hard thing to I think constantly push back on a culture that you grew up in with one that you're yeah. newly entering and assimilating into. Absolutely, no, I, I can totally relate to that. I, I I think as immigrant or someone who has lived in two different countries with completely different values and and, and, and cultures, you always are kind of basically having having a hard time to make that choice i think because you because of i think that that you know um the variety of perspectives can be an advantage can sometimes also kind of put you in a spot where it, it's you feel like you're in the dilemma or you don't know are you should you follow what your parents tell you to and and kind of go with the norm or should you basically you know uh, listen to a gut and there are a lot of uh you know, um, I think a lot of immigrants share that too. Like a lot of my friends too, they're, you know, they, 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 they're having a hard time to reconcile that two completely different value systems. And, and they don't know if they should please their parents or please themselves or please the society they're in right now, let's say in Canada, right? So there are just a lot of things that they, they, they don't know the answer for and they just have to basically make a decision and move on and see what happens and kind of course correct later on. But I think that's a struggle that immigrants um, had in terms of reconcile the two different values and and i'm still living in that in the struggle you know to to this day so um i'm, I'm sure you probably have similar similar experience <laughs> um but uh but yeah yeah and before we go before we dive into that i kind of want to brush over uh the professional experience you've had so yeah. you you worked in scotia bank in the tech capital markets and then mm-hmm. Cantor fitzgerald uh in investment banking and then yeah. after that you went into a fintech company called yep. Overbond, and Correct. you were a product manager there right. on, once again, the debt capital markets. Yeah. And then you left that, you became a product manager at Scotiabank. Right. So you went back to Scotiabank, but yeah. now you're a product manager on like the credit card side, yeah. I think. Yeah. So all, all, th- all throughout that chain, there's the debt the debt side, like credit finance seems to be like this trend. Like, were you particularly interested in credit finance? Not or did it all. just happen to be? Serendipity. It just happened like that. Serendipity okay. for sure. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give you kind of a, quick rundown on my professional career um, um, history. Um, so so basically, I did the first term when I was basically at Studio U of T. It was, it was hard to like land any interviews at, at um, you know, banks because I wasn't that interested in Big Four. I, I was still applying, but I, I just think during the networking process, they can tell that I, my mind was like somewhere else. Like I wasn't even that interested in auditing or you know, um, counting inventories in a warehouse and stuff like that. Oh, you got to uh, sell it. Yeah, you got to sell it real I hard. Did, I didn't sell that re- really well. Yeah. And I was kind of having a bit of ego issue. I'm like, ah, getting paid 40K to do that? Like, have a master's degree. What are you talking about? Like, so like, um, I wanted to like get something more exciting, right? Like, and, and, and I think um, banks make sense. And I was 
you know, networking hard and I was able to get into um, Scotia Capital, but on the FP&A side, so financial planning analysis. Um, so basically looking at the, um, you know, the historical financial numbers for Scotia Capital, the investment banking and, and, and kind of sales and trading numbers. Um, so that gave me the exposure to basically talk to those front office guys, right? Because so, I was at, I guess, middle office. And, and other than my nine to five job, I was just basically getting coffees with people because I, I was just I was just really hungry. I, I was curious. I, I wanted, I'm like, oh, well, investment banking sounds so cool. You know, you hear about it all the time. I'm like, what it is? What do they, those guys do? Like, how do they get in? Right? So I was having, one day I had like six coffees. I was literally shaking my hands. And later on, I'm like, oh, there's a thing called decaf because I didn't even know at that time. So I, 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 I usually I just go tall, tall bike. Top hike, top hike, and, and and later on, oh, there's a decaf version. I'm gonna go for a decaf version after you know maybe 3 p.m. or whatever. But yeah, th- those four four months, the first term I was at Scotia Scotia Bank was um, a, a great learning experience. In addition to what I was learning on the job, which wasn't as exciting. I I am the kind of guy who's like just like got interesting things for like three four months, and I'm like ah, it's not. A-. Once you kind of go over that learning curve, you're like. Um, I'm not, I think it's kind of bad, but yeah, I just like, I wasn't that interested because I got bored very easily. That's something that I, and I will, I'll, we can delve into that in a bit, but, um, so I'm like, ah, oh, this FPNA, it's, it's okay. It's interesting. I was making fairly more, way more money than my big four friends are making, but I still wasn't interested as much as I got in, right? So you, grass is always greener, right? Like you look at, oh, equity research or oh, corporate banking, investment banking, debt capital market, this and that. Oh, those guys, you know, you know, 68th floor at Scotia Plaza, you know, talking to, you know, CFO at Bell. Oh, that sounds really cool. I was basically checking their financial. That's not as interesting. So I decided to talk to those guys and and, and figure out, oh, sound, could, and, and, and I felt like that's something that uh, I wanted to to at least give a shot and try it out for my second term. Um, and and uh, fortunately, I was able to kind of get my second term at DCM, Debt Capital Markets. Um, so I was basically, for people that are not, that familiar with DCM, basically it's, you know, helping corporate um, issuers with their bond, uh, with financing and through issuing bonds. And I was helping like guys like, you know, Bell, Tellus, Rogers, you know, uh, Hydro One to issue like billions of dollar bonds. Um, So that was interesting. And and I got to be in an environment with a lot of very smart, very hardworking people, as you can imagine in that environment. Um, And I learned a lot. I learned a lot, but Again, I wasn't as satisfied because there's always great grass is always greener. I'm like, hmm, that capital markets still more capital markets than investment banking. You know, it wasn't very modeling heavy. You know, it didn't have a lot of exit opportunities. Most guys, I realized they, they went to treasuries or, or you know become CFOs or you know stuff like that. It wasn't wasn't much a good exit opportunity, right? As per you know Wall Street Oasis, whatever. Um, so so I. I was dead set on getting to real investment banking, right? So, quote unquote, real, yeah, investment. real investment banking, you know, industry coverage, MA, equity financing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so after I graduated, I was, you know, more, I was still applying to like sales and trading, equity research, and just hedge myself again, right? But I, and my mind was on investment banking, and I had a lot of uh, interviews, final round interviews actually with RBC, BMO, Canaccord at that time. Wasn't, wasn't able to convert, but eventually Cantor. Um, they have a kind of Toronto office only focused on metals and mining at that time. They decided to give me a shot, partially because MD was from the same program that I graduated from. 
10 years ago, I think that had a, something to do with it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was short lived as well. I quit, uh, quit in literally six and a half months, uh, joining it in 2016 January and quit, uh, before end of June. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the reason was, um, um, I, I, I had fun for the first four months and I did learn a lot, but after that, there was another person came in who I directly reported to. It just, I have to be honest, it's really toxic and I just didn't enjoy working with him at all. And, 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 um, came to a point where I just couldn't deal with, with him anymore. And, and I, I would rather quit than, than, you know, basically, uh, getting tortured or suffer. Um, which was a huge deal for me at that time. Um, I was a little, that was the first time where I had, you know, um, sleep, sleep, sleeplessly nights and, and, you know, woke out of, uh, anxiety because, like I said, you know, I, I, I put so much time and efforts and energy into, um, getting, getting into investment banking and, um, and, um, you know, I, I feel like that, that was my identity and I, I, I can't believe one guy just ruined it, kind of my, my dream of, you know, become an investment banker and, and make this experience such a short lived where I felt like that I didn't have any choice other than have, having to quit. And, and, and looking back was a good choice. Um, I think my mental health and physical health were way more important than, um, than, you know, being there for a year or two years or six months or whatever. Um, but it, it was, it was, it was a big, um, I think a big point in my life where I, I felt very, very low. I was very, very low. It was very dark moment because, especially because I, I feel like you, you basically, I, I was at the highest point of my life where, you know, I was doing investment banking, finally got in, you know, international student being Canada for two years, got into investment banking, doing, you know, deals and, and to a point that I have to quit in that six month window. It was brutal. And, and I, it was hard to kind of, you know, kind of get out of that darkest moments and days. But, you know, my girlfriend was being helpful and my parents were supportive as well. Um, those helped me. And um, so after I quit, I was starting to, you know, network again, you know, gradually, basically, you know, drag myself out of those um, valleys, I like to call it, because I, I see my life as like peaks and valleys, peaks yeah. and valleys. So the very low moments and, and, you know, decided, you know, there got to be a better way of going about life than just, you know, be miserable all day. So I, you know, I came out of my condo and started to reach out to people and talk to, you know, private equity, VC, um, you know, um, um, startups. And eventually I was able to um, get in as a, you know, early employee at Overbond. Um, so Overbond is similar again, it's similar to kind of what I did at D, um, DCM in Scotia. It's, it's, um, it's a fintech startup. They just got seven point five million dollars by the time I I joined. I joined one month after their C financing. That was like largest C financing in Canada at that time. Seven point five million, which is a lot. Um, and uh, they were putting together a team. The two founders from CIBC, three co-founders actually. Two business co-founders are um, ex you know CIBC DCM and sales and trading guys. Um, the other co-founder is a technical founder. It's um, from IBM. But um, so yeah, I think I remember I was number five. Um, in terms of like the full-time employee other than the three founders. So I, I joined, um, the title was like fixing income analyst. I was basically doing everything in terms of research, um, talking to customers, right? Like sales, marketing, product management, finance. I wasn't even in, involved in recruiting. So that was a really fun experience. And looking back that that was, I had most fun at Overbond in terms of 
that learning experience and, and basically being in a team where you have guys you can relate to, you know, ex, you know, finance professionals, as well as guys who work at Amazon and IBM, right? Like different backgrounds and, and that kind of um, collaboration is something that I really enjoyed. Um, but as you know, startups, ups and downs, right? So um, eventually come to a point where two out of three co-founders left and, you know, there was a bit of, uh, you know, um, legal issues between kind of the founder um, who remained and, and, and uh, the only investor who invested the company. So it came to a point where, you know, 90% employees left and, and, and after, you know, the, the one of the co-founders left, I, I joined, I kind of left shortly after um, just because, um, yeah, it was, it was very unfortunate. I think it's, it's great concept, especially for that type of markets. It's very, very much, um, you know, um, old school, right? It's a lot of, uh, Excel spreadsheets, pen and paper, um, you know, in-person meetings, row shows and this and that where, um, it, there's a ton of room for technology to kind of streamline the process and workflow. And a lot of companies are already doing it. IPO is, is one. Um, who's doing kind of the IPO market in, in the States. And, and, and obviously debt is, you know, 10, 20, 50 times bigger than equity, right? So there's tremendous kind of, um, I guess, you know, uh, upside potential for, for, for companies who, who can actually get it done. Um, so I, I joined because of that um, and also because I was able to kind of add value um, based on my kind of capital markets or investment banking background. Um and, and I did have fun, but, uh, but eventually, you know, um, it came to a point where I had to leave and, and well, 90% of people left. Um, but I did learn a lot in terms of like everything from, you know, sales and marketing to like product and financing and, and recruiting. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I joined, uh, so I basically, I joined Scotiabank right after, um, while I was at Overbond, I had that kind of, um, 36 pass going on already. That time it was basically a, a side hustle. You know, I was helping um, students with a resume, like, um, or mock interviews, or basically helping them understand the industry on a very ad hoc basis. But uh, it came to a point where it just, I just, it just, I just can't deal with the amount of requests I got from LinkedIn and other people who re- reached out to me. I said, okay, guys, um, why do I do this? You know, I help people with their resume, give me 100 bucks. So I all prioritize your requests over people who don't. And, and, and they're like, okay, cool. And, and uh, that's where it came about. And, and also at that time, I was also a um, kind of industry career consultant for on a part-time basis as well for, for one of the um, career consulting company or platform. So very similar to what I was, what I'm doing right now at 36 Pass, but the company was much more established. They started like five, six years ago. Um, they're essentially helping, you know, international students, primarily Chinese students, in North America, they're huge in the States, help them with their, you know, career development, right? So, you know, resume, interviews. The company recently got acquired for like $15 million by a um, NASDAQ kind of public company. Yeah, so, so yeah, so so that's kind of where I realized, oh, damn, there's there's huge potential here and, and something I enjoy as well, you know, basically helping, giving back and helping helping people who were basically in my shoes three years ago and, and try my best to help them out. And, and, uh, so I kind of keep on the side and keep doing it and, and joined Scotiabank in uh, February, 2018, um, just to kind of buy myself more time. I was 
truthfully, I was not that interested in becoming an employee um, at a big bank. Um, it's just more for me to buy myself some time so that I can see what I can do and experiment with the research path. Um, so I tried different business models. And funny enough, I was actually having a conversation with uh, a guy from Omas Ventures about the income share agreement space. So basically, I, I started with um, kind of like I said, you know, one-off resume edit, mock interviews, and stuff like that, right? And and I came across a concept called income share agreement. It's getting really popular in the states, less so in Canada. But Hacker, you now I think they changed their name, but um, and another um, a few other kind of. Um, coding boot camps are doing stuff similar to that. But in the States, the biggest player, I think, other than the Purdue University, et cetera, is, is uh, uh, Lambda School. It's a huge one. Um, and uh, PathRise and, and a few others. Um, so I thought, oh, this is interesting. It makes perfect sense in terms of aligning the incentives between the students and and, and, and the corporation or the mentors. Um, so I decided to give it a shot and see what happens. So that I started in end of 2018, just experimented this business model and, and reached out to people on LinkedIn. LinkedIn was my kind of business development goldmine or tool. And, and just you know, go on LinkedIn and type, oh, actively seeking analyst position. And, and I reached out to be like, hey, you know, I'm Sean. I, and, you know, I run this career accelerator through this path. You know, what we offer is um, basically helping you to land into, uh, you know, financial analyst, analyst position in financial service industry. And, and we do in a way where, you know, you don't have to pay any upfront. Um, tuition fees, would you interested in get, um, jumping on a quick call, right? So so that's how we got started and to a point where I had, um, you know, f- um, five students who basically enrolled in the new program and um, they paid $1,000. I, basically, I, I imposed a kind of secure deposit to make sure that students who sign up are, are not going to just like drop out of the program and when they get an offer. So so to kind of basically have them have some skin in the game, right? So basically have them to be financially committed, obviously sign agreement, um, and uh, and and three out of five graduate in in sense that they got an offer and start pay pay me back in terms of income share, which is ten percent. Let's say, you, you know, someone who got a job offer for I don't know forty forty thousand forty thousand is the floor. If you hit, if you get a job that's you know less than forty thousand annual salary, you don't have to pay anything. Um, but once you hit forty thousand and you decide to take it. And the $1,000 deposit is going to be applied towards the total tuition fees outstanding and the rest of the, you know, 3000 because it's 10% of that, right? So total it's 4000 and the rest of the 3000 comes in three months once you start working to manage your cash flow that way. Um, so three students graduated, got an offer, still paid me back. And that was 20, early 2019. And I was, I was at my highest moment again. I'm like, oh, wow, this is going to work. I'm going to... I'm going to be, you know, startup founder. I'm going to make millions to billions of dollars, exit this and that. I'm just living my dream. The big ego just started to constantly talk nonstop. And I'm like, okay, I can't, I can't deal with Scotiabank anymore. I can't become just another employee at a large bank where I'm just clocking a will. And, you know, I, I have bigger challenges I need to work on. I, I've got to make the world better. i got to make my millions of dollars and this and that. And, and I was completely unconscious spiritually speaking as in that i wasn't i wasn't aware of my thoughts and, and, and emotions and i basically got taken over by just a cool thought that i haven't really validated it because it's, uh, the the sample size is so small and and there are a lot of questions i haven't really looked into what happens if you know the, the client went back to china what, what happens if the client just decided to do a master degree you know things that i i'm encountering right now i'm like 
oh damn, I wish I had take my time to to really kind of um, be more patient. But at that time, you know, I was I was feeling miserable because I was still at bank doing nine to five. But I feel like those you know hours could be more productively used if I actually focused on full time. I feel like Scotiabank in a way is is delaying my my timeline in terms of becoming you know uh, you know exit my business with ten million dollars and uh, and I was feeling miserable I was having daily conversation with my parents my mom was very supportive sorry so it was my dad and they were like okay if you want to give it a shot and you really think you have a shot even though you have you better have that expectation that it might not work out um, but it sounds like you're you know really have to try it and then then go for it so I because I every day I was like I, I gotta quit my job I can't do this anymore it's boring stuff you know bureaucracy I, I can you know focus on my startup and make millions and this and that and mom my mom's like okay just just quit and if you didn't work out you can always get a job after um so I'm like okay that makes sense so finally I you know I I guess I I, I just made you know pull the trigger and and decided to quit in 2019 May um yeah this May so it's been half a year focused yeah, on a full-time yeah. yeah focus on full-time and uh, again lots of ups and downs but had a lot of success got um in total actually 15 students in in the um in the new program like i guess the income share agreement program but some of the graduates are paying back but um but you know like any startup there's ups and downs and i definitely was being overly optimistic about my execution ability and more so about i think i i had a much higher expectation that i i was bound to not able to meet because um, I haven't thought about a lot of things in terms of, you know, whether this is something that uh, people will be receptive of uh, and, and whether um, there's a lot of like logistic issues that I haven't really um, encountered. And, and, I, and, and, and I was just basically, you know, um, projecting a best case scenario, which was, well, never, usually never, um, uh, realize so so you know reality hit my face and and early on you know the first couple th- two three months was relatively fine I'm still in a trial period I'm like okay it's gonna get better um, even though I you know from outside looking it's it's not bad I mean you know 15 people decide to give you 1k to learn from you or in other mentors that I have uh, um, partnered with it's it's not a bad thing at all but uh, but when you were looking at how much you were paid before and and right now that becomes your only source of income. You you your your mentality is just much more fragile, and 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 you're like you look at a bank account and be like, oh, that doesn't feel great. You know, then you becomes the grass of is green. The grass is always greener. Is mentality is kicking in again, where you're like, oh, you know, being a full time employee is not that bad actually. When <laughs> those you know you like you get paid monthly salary and you get that you know um, certainty. Um, but uh, but yeah, I guess it's part of game. I, I've been talking too much. I'll, I'll let you. No uh... no no. I you I like it. Um, you know the stories about you, not me. But <laughs> I, I guess like just in case the listeners are, might be a little confused, mm-hmm. you know, because income sharing is a concept that you and I are very familiar with. But if, in case they're not uh, fully aware, it's like yeah, like so schools like Lambda School and thir- your company's thirty six paths. What you know what they do with income sharing is like. Yeah, you don't have to pay upfront for like these like boot camps, and you just do yeah. it. You practically like, just with like a deposit, or practically just for free, and yeah. then you practically pay 
based on the salary that you earn and yeah. that's how the company makes money and it's honestly i think a great alignment of incentives that sure. a lot of my uh, not a lot but a few of my friends who did boot camps in the states they had that kind of structure and i was like that yeah. makes perfect sense that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a great way to switch a career i don't know why not enough companies are, or schools are doing that now but i just wanted to kind of add that caveat in, in case people are a little confused but yeah. because then people now be like oh, okay yeah that makes sense that's why people are you know, sure. joining on to like 36 paths but yeah dude it's you know, yeah, you've been on quite a journey, and I remember, yeah, when we when we first met and we chatted, yeah, yeah, you know, I felt like, oh yeah, kindred spirit on on this solo founder journey, right? Like, solo creator journey, and yeah, I guess you know it's been a six month uh, yeah. mark for you, and yeah, man, uh, how are you feeling? That's a yeah. great question. Um, if I have to be fully honest, um, not as not the greatest, not the greatest. And, and um, I'll tell you why, because I think, like I said, I, I kind of alluded to it early on that I had a really high expectations, right, when I quit. And, and, and you know, I, I basically invest so much. I mean, I was basically doing a part-time since like 2017 in August, you know, being like over two years part-time. But And, and I had such, I feel like I tied so much of my personal and business identity to it. And I was, I was basically hoping that you know had a strong desire this is going to work out because oh it makes sense why would anyone who would you know pay like 5 10k up front to to another career consulting company which we recently just got acquired i was alluding to earlier um why would the students ever do that but students are doing it because they did really well in terms of their social media marketing or they already established their processes and 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 frankly a lot of some some painful learning experience for me is that some of the students are are just used to paying up front you know for their tuition fees and 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 it's it's a, it's, it's a business model that they're already used to and um and and i think another another factor i realize is that it 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 allows them to be more committed right let's say you pay 5k up front then you're like oh i better study well i better you know invest my more efforts i mean like 1k to a lot of international students that's nothing right they paid 100k for their raw men for year undergrad so like one case one percent of that and and i think that that little upfront for the for the demographics i was targeting might not be particularly a good fit that's my assumption that remains to be validated but um i think for for this demographics where um, you have, they do have the wallet to actually pay upfront, and and when you um, sell them to something that that seems better, they might not be particularly receptive to it because first it's a new concept which requires education, and secondly it's that you know it's it they don't have as much skin in the game versus they put down five k, and they'd be more committed to that learning experience, and 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 also like for me just personally like I said I wasn't feeling as well is because. Um, as I hoped is because, um, you know, you were not making as much money because you're, you're like 80 or 90% of fees are, are, are in the future, right? Whenever the student decided to take an offer or, you know, um, and, and they could decide to just not apply for a while because they wanted to, I don't know, do their GMAT and apply to master's. And those are things that I didn't really factor into my income share agreement that I just basically drafted myself. You know, I'm not a lawyer, so um, there's definitely a lot of uh, um, learning lessons I have. I've, I've kind of I've learned over over the past, you know, especially over the past six months, and um, a lot of ups and downs. Whenever you had 
um, clients who, who liked your idea, you feel like you get that validation, that, that kind of strength in your belief that the thing's going to work out. So I had, I talked to my girlfriend and my parents a lot. It's like I have that high and low energy cycle or kind of like, you know, peaks and valleys whenever. And it's very much tied to external conditions or circumstances, right? So when, you know, two clients sign up, I'm like, oh, wow, I'm the, you know, I'm the big shot now. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to make it big, right? And when, when people are like, oh, they decided not to take an offer, even though if they take the offer, I will get paid. But they decide not to take an offer because of whatever reason, or they decide to pursue the master. I'm like, what am I going to do? And you have your low moments. So I think a lot of times it's that it's I think it's hard, particularly hard for me because I think I have always having that kind of you know big ego. I guess not not in the like terrible way, but like big ego is in like you always set big goals and you wanted to make make it happen. You always want to accomplish it, and and I have always been fairly lucky i guess throughout my process even you know in terms of getting jobs and in, in investment banking or you know getting my cfa cp i was always been kind of the, the the person that people look up to in, from from my peers and and this is the the kind of the first or maybe second time where i i felt lost and and i don't know and and and, and particularly like honestly this week has been tough in a sense i just didn't feel like doing it um, didn't feel like doing anything related to Thursday's past or the business or life in general. And just kind of apathy, I think, is because there's a, a conflict internally that kind of tear me apart where, you know, the reality is that it wasn't going as well as I hoped. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you feel like, you know, if you... Also, there's reality of, like, you don't feel like doing it because you know maybe the reality maybe the reality wasn't as well as you hoped and there's also another you who is telling you be like starting to judge you be like if you're not working on it of course it's not going to work out and 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 you better you know, get up and do stuff it's kind of like i feel like tortured in that process and and also because i'm you know running this myself right there's my girlfriend's you know away from nine to six eight to six right actually and um just myself and just in my condo you know just just doing trying different things and, and and you don't know what's gonna work out and 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 you I think because of reality hits you in that you kind of lost the conviction a little and and over the over the past few weeks I've been thinking about maybe I'll keep this on the side and start looking for a full-time job again just I'm not saying giving it up because I still think that there's a potential and 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 I temporarily kind of paused the income share agreement model as well because I think it wasn't a right fit for me at this time because um, I think it's 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 definitely a great business model. It's a great concept, but it, it requires a lot of infrastructure and regulations and, and basically manpower. You better have, right now I'm taking on any student who is applying, but really that shouldn't be the case. You should take on students that you feel like are, are you're in a position to help and are, and, and are, are basically able to kind of get offers, committed, motivated, right now i just don't have the luxury to 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 do that or there's not enough interest in this business model and and so i have to take whatever that's out there and which is not the right thing to do and which creates further issues down the road so i temporarily revert back to kind of the upfront you know fee model similar to um the the, the previous career coaching company that i was or platform i was on 
and see what happens. But in the meantime, I'm also open to, you know, looking for full-time job again and see what happens. And, and um, you know, I'm always, you know, honest and transparent about it. And, and, um, and I think um, that's just kind of my journey so far. And to answer your question, um, yeah, I mean, it wasn't the greatest um, feeling right now. But, uh, but yeah, I'm trying to, you know, accept that, that reality. And instead of, you know, being, I think before I was, you know, resisting that, that, that reality. And, 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 be, and my, my mom was saying that, yo, the income share agreement sounds like really good, but also like it's so innovative and, and you're not going to get a lot of money up, up front. Like there are a lot of risks. Have you thought about it? I'm like, mom, you don't know this. Like alignment of incentives, the biggest, the new, um, most innovative model. I'm going to outcompete all the competitors who are targeting those. My demographics, let's say, you know, Chinese students who are trying to get jobs, like I'm going to like blow them out like 10 times better, you know, the innovation, this and that. I'm like, okay, okay, you, you go try and, and let me know how you feel after six months. And I'm like, mom, I, you know, I, you're right. I, I, I should listen to you. I should just be more open minded because I was, you know, basically bought into the big concept and invest my sense of self in it. And, and that's why I think the big, the big letdown really kind of, um, hit me and 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 frankly two weekends ago was probably my lowest moment where i honestly just couldn't sleep at night i woke up like 3 a.m just couldn't sleep and 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 i got super panicked i was like wow am i gonna die because i have read on one of the books i really like it's called why we sleep by matt walker Walker, yeah Yeah. so it's a great book and and they were talking about one of the disease rare disease where (laughs) when you were in like early 20s or late 20s some people got there in their late 20s, like, that's me, 27, no, damn. And they're like, you, you might actually get, you know, five hours, eight hours sleep normally and gradually become seven, six, five, four, three, two, one and gradually die of exhaustion. And and what happened on Friday night, two weeks ago, was I got five hour and Saturday night, I got probably on and off four hour. I'm like, damn, I'm gonna die next, next Saturday. <laughs> you know, I just out of lack of sleep. And my mom's like, stop like i have i have that similar experience before when i was running you know some stressful projects and whatever like that's totally normal but but when your mind was complete like just creating those dark thoughts and negative emotions it's just like a wild river just drag you in and you just you just you just can't think properly you can't get your mind straight anymore because to me i, I later on realized that is that you know i, I feel like there was uh, you know i failed i that there's kind of annihilation of myself because of the the reality of this business and is not going as well as I hoped when I quit. I was announcing to the world that Scotiabank, see yeah, Scotiabank, I'm never coming back. You know, I will never become employed again. And you just like you you put all your chips in that in that in that in this kind of uh, basket here, and 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 wasn't going as well as you thought. And you just that that kind of loss of his sense of self is scary because your your mind was thinking you you're done like because of this business, which is super stupid when you look back like it's just business and like you can always get a job you can you can be cashier at Tim Hortons no offense to those occupation I'm just saying that you can always make a living it's Canada you're not going to die of starvation like if you lower it like I think ultimately it's just ego right I think a lot of it is because how I grew up and how I was always being successful how I was the guy who people look up to oh oh you come out of the program you're making the most money you got into investment banking you know when we were international students you know, you got your CFA and CPA when you were 26 and stuff like that. Like people just like, you know, I think it just it, that further strength, strength in that ego or false sense of self. 
and and came to a point where you know those setbacks and letdowns become such a big disappointment that it's hard for you to climb out of. Um, yeah, I'm not sure this interests your audience, but I think well, for me at least the 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 selfish nature of this podcast is that it interests me, and it's very interesting because. Uh, I you know I don't want to make it about me, but I mm-hmm. I do I do see it. I yeah. I see myself in that struggle. Like um, I I might have talked about it before, maybe yeah. on the podcast, or maybe on one of my essays, where it's like yeah, like I've had moments where I sit here, I I sit in this condo and I I look out and I like look at my balcony and I yeah. go, how would I have to jump for me to die faster, like oh, to wow. like to make it instant so that I don't suffer. Like I've considered the angles. How would I jump out of it? How would I? That, do I, would, that, I would I hang right. on on the other side? Because like, yeah, like you have these moments where it's just, I just kind of it's like the danger zones. So if you just sit in your condo and you think, what am I doing? And yeah, nothing seems to be working. Yeah, I remember you 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 wrote in your essay. Yeah, yeah, I think I saw that. And yeah. it's like yeah, like you feel like you're crazy, and yeah, there are very like dark moments like that, and they're um, nonstop, right? Like yeah, they, they have yeah. the momentum. They're like one thought after the other. Yeah, or like I'm walking, I'm crossing the street, and then the truck goes by, and then I think, what if I just stepped right in front? It could right. just end all now. And yeah, yeah, and I think those are very dangerous thoughts. And and I'm not saying like I'm I'm suicidal or anything, but I think it's just it's a thought that a lot of people probably go through having. I don't think totally. I'm unique in that at all. No, and not alone. Yeah, exactly. Sure. And I think that you know that's why like this kind of community is important where we talk about this kind of stuff because yeah. it's yeah like it's normal um yeah like i i remember when in my first six months because like, I, I think now i'm close to 18 months now yeah and i remember my friends they always every time i see friends they always ask how you doing how you doing yeah are you happy are yeah. you at least are you, happy and yeah then, i read that uh, yeah. happy yeah, essay yeah, oh, yeah. it's really good thank yeah. you man and yeah like i, I tell them i think after the six months i tell them you know, I'm I'm feeling that pain. Like I'm feeling that pain of no money. Like I'm, yeah, you know the the, bo- the bonus <laughs> I used to have. Yeah, like yeah. the guy I used to be, or the guy that people thought I was. Yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, it's yeah. And then over time, I think like now I I'm at a great place now. Mm-hmm. But doesn't mean the bad stuff bad thoughts don't go don't come. They still come. But yeah. I think I've. It's been a really long process for me, at least too. Well, you're three times more into this journey than than me, so. Well, uh, and everyone's different, right? You might fig- you might figure all this shit out like next month. I might just be someone. Oh, is it actually cool to swear? Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to be very conscious about. Oh, dude, no, it's alright. Like, I, <laughs> I swear so much on this podcast. I think everyone's like, no, and that I I tangent is like I remember in my. When I first got into KPMG, I swore in my interview, and I did it purposely because I wanted. I was like, "Show the passion." Yeah, I, I was. I wanted to be like, "Yeah, I just want to let them know, like, I'm not going to be this politi- politically correct, correct guy." Yeah. So I was just throwing yeah, f bombs yeah. and like shit in the interview, and then yeah. I got it. I'm like, "All right, it works." Yeah, and then like that's just how it yeah. went on. But um, that that's that side tangent. But yeah, like it's, yeah, it's been uh, yeah, like just like you said, like you start sometimes like I I at least for me I've had times where I'm like, God, I wish I had a job. It'd be totally. so life would be so easy like people complain but you just gotta show up you don't have to do anything just sit down and you get paid yeah. like for many many jobs i'd say like yeah and yeah like it's and you have these kind of thoughts but totally totally yeah, that, i'm just spinning off shit that i just think of in like the back of my mind and um yeah it's not it's definitely not been easy um 
Like I've had to, like that's why I started incorporating like quarterly retreats where yeah. I just take two weeks off every quarter. Yeah. Even then, I think it only took until like the third time that I did that, that I decided to take time off. Like the first time I flew out to New York, got a hotel room, one yeah. week in New York, and then working the entire week until like the second last day, I was going to fly. I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to rest now. I think I, think I can do it. I think I can right. do it. And then I finally did it for like a day and a half. And then I flew out. I was like, what a fucking waste. <laughs> I was stressed out completely in my hotel room in New York. And then I did it again when I was in Vancouver. Right. I was so sick at that point though that like I got really sick. Physically? That, yeah, yeah. I, I got, um, I caught some virus and... Um, I ended up oh, being, I remember yeah, yeah. That, that vlog in UBC you were talking about. Sorry, the vlog you had at uh, oh yeah the vlog UBC. Yeah, 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 and yeah, and so yeah, I was like, oh god, yeah, I, I got sick and that forced me to not work. But right after that, I went straight working, and then I went to Europe, and I think that really helped out. But decompress yeah. or no, just get away from everything. Yeah, and try to freshen up the mind. Um, yeah. You gotta have some space, right, for your mind. Otherwise, it's it's yeah. too full, and there's no new ideas and solutions coming in. It's just, no, yeah, it's, it's just, too full. It's shit. Yeah. It, it's, it's, every day, I'm just crying more shit into my head, and yeah, um, yeah, I don't even feel like I'm much coherent now in terms of what I'm saying. But it's yeah, it, all, all I can say is like when most of the times now, when people ask me like, how are things, how are everything, I just I'm, I'm tired. I'm really tired. I'm exhausted. Um, I remember early, I, yeah, I'm curious about how, you, you kind of alluded to this, but yeah, when I, in early in my journey, I remember I'd wake up in the mornings and I would, I would not want to get out of bed. I was like, not, that's exactly not motivated. And how then I feel. In my oh mind my though, God. then I have the voice telling me, but aren't you supposed to be yeah. tap dancing out of bed? Mm-hmm. Aren't you supposed to be motivated yep. and excited? Yep. excited? Yep. And I'm thinking, fuck it. I, I'm going to stay. And like, I'd stay in bed. Uh, and like some days I remember I just stay in bed until like 1 p.m. I just did, wouldn't go yeah. out. Like, well, similar, yeah. yeah. It was like 11 a.m. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like that constant voice. Of, you just feel like shit where your, your mind is telling you like, dialogue, what, yeah. what, a, what a loser. Come yeah. on, man. You chose this. You chose this, yeah. yeah. It's it's on you. What are you going to do? Are you going to get the fuck up right yeah. now? Um, and write your blog yeah. and record your podcast. Do whatever. Exactly. It can't be in a bed, right? That the voice is so strong. Yeah. And, and, and you got to turn it off sometimes. Like you got to... I've, I've, for, for me, at least... I tried to like stop working and actually go out and see friends. Yeah, and that helps for sure. That took about a year to realize, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, that, that's what I'm telling you. I'm very slow at this. So I think you might get it I, faster. but No, I don't think it's you're <laughs> slow. I think a lot of times when you're so in it, you just you don't realize things that others are to tell you. And, and a lot of times they tell you and you just don't agree because you might like, uh, intellectually, I understand. I should probably relax. I should probably you know, hit the gym to, to help me decompress and stuff like that. But, but when you're in the Zoom, you don't. I literally even listen to my mom when apparently the vice is you know very valid. I think it's because the more we're investing our sense of self in, in whatever we do and we think that's who we are, the more dangerous it becomes in terms of you know you you, you can go 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 um, go off the road and and took so long for you to realize that you're oh shoot that, that's not the direction I I wanted to go or I want to be going you know. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that took a weird ass tangent, but I I like it. I like it. But um, unfortunately, I think I'm kind of we're kind of coming near to the end of our time. So maybe we'll have you know I I'm curious. I'm we might have to do um, a follow up after like another few months to see how things go yeah. for both of us. But I would love to. 
I, that'd be really fun. But um, as we kind of kind of wrap, wrap up this kind of final leg of this interview, I I'm curious. Like, is there anything like we didn't cover that you wanted to kind of you're dying to talk about today? Um, not really. I think we covered pretty much everything, and and I'm glad I had this opportunity to basically share, you know, what was going through. Um, for the past six months and share with someone who clearly has already done is being through and is in it right now. Oh, maybe we can talk about, you know, um, I guess next steps for us. I mean, I, I'm considering basically get a full-time job again, just, just so that, you know, um, I can feel a little bit better. Maybe my, you know, I, I just decided to give in. Maybe my mind was not strong enough. Maybe my you know, my heart is not there yet, and 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 I need kind of financial support for me to feel better. And and also, I I I, just, I guess I decide to be open or embrace the idea of that. You know, m- this thing a lot of times is not like how much time or efforts you put in, despite the fact that sometimes you just don't feel like working on it, which I'm sure you can relate to that as well. But also, just like just let's assume that you're fully dedicated to it, and you're. You hundred percent on all the time, and and if you put a lot of time and efforts, and and this thing might still not work out, right? It might not work out as way you 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 hoped it, and 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 right now, if I'm not okay with it, it's it's actually not healthy because you you you're, um, you you're basically tying your entire internal peace and mental health to something that is highly likely to fail, and 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 because you know startup or small business or you know creator. 99.9% of them don't go as well or fail, right? So when you tie in so much your internal peace or mental health to that thing that is statistically speaking highly likely to fail, you're doing yourself a disservice, right? And 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 I, I think it really depends on, it depends on different people, right? I think a lot of people, I admire people who have that just basically go into debt to, to you know, pull their business out of, um, ashes and, and basically make it happen, make it big. I really admire those people, but I think a lot of people don't, what they don't realize is that what they have gone through, right? Those dark moments and dark days, they probably experienced way worse. I mean, my business is like just a website similar to yours, right? Like maybe, you know, some other stuff, but it's like fairly capital, uh, not heavy, right? So capital light, I guess. Um, but for a lot of other business, like, you know, restaurants and coffee shops and those guys, they go into bank loans to, 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 you know, to buy a store or to invest in facilities. And it turns out it wasn't like that. I'm, I'm sure they, they're going through even tougher times, but, um, but I guess it, it, sometimes things like that come, come with time. Maybe it, it's, I, I, I decided to embrace the fact that maybe right now I'm might not be fully ready for, for it or in terms of full time wise, or, um, you know, I, I might still keep going on, but, but, you know, um, like I, I'm trying to like f- tell myself to not resist to the reality and what we be more realistic. And, and if my mind is not strong enough to like, to, or I, if I don't really want to torture myself to a point where give all in and, and see if it works and then you don't have to, there's, there's a way where you can, you know, let's say get another job and work full time and you still keep this thing on, on the side. Maybe, maybe, you know, at future, maybe two years later, there's a co-founder or maybe the income share agreement becomes more mature and maybe 
there's right timing, right people, like things like that, like in a universe, a lot of times are completely out of your control. Um, and and uh, I, I think just become more used to, I guess, you know, um, accepting the reality and offer no resi- no resistance to it. Like I always, I'm always kind of the kind of guy who's like, I'm going to fight a reality. I don't want to believe in it. You know, I, you get fed into so much of those motivational stuff. It's like, you know, through sheer will and, and efforts and hard work, anything can be accomplished. But, you know, you only see those that made it. What about those that didn't, right? That's very much like survivorship bias, right? Like what, what happened to those? Those guys never made YouTube videos about, oh, I actually failed. Well, some do, but a lot of those are just so sad. Or maybe they commit suicide. Or they just like became whatever. But but I, I wanted to kind of talk about it so that people realize that it was really, it was not easy at all. It was I was way overestimating how how easy, uh, how difficult it is. And, 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 um, and but I learned a lesson and I, I, I guess it was a good kind of journey for my heart um, and mental health. But yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's true. Amen to that. I <laughs> can't really disagree with that. And yeah, I think next for me at least I, I've, I've been very public about this too it's just yeah like I've I've been looking for looking to you know join an organization for a long time yeah and for me like that's just been a journey of like I um, I spent time building out the platform since September then, right you put on your now page what yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah. For. yeah and then you know I, I did like freelance coaching I consulted yeah. startups separately and then that all kind of gradually led into oh well I tested this hypothesis I tested this other hypothesis and to do what I want to do it seems like oh I have to get a job and that's just been the reality of it and it's just been a continuous changing of the mental model of size of company type of company right. industry type of leader and just yeah. constantly narrowing things down like quote unquote like industry position title put title that I want right. role that I want and yeah like that's like I continuously update the now page for people that are interested yeah. and yeah like that's just how it's been a progression for me but you know Sean, this is a, you know, life, right? Life is long and yeah. this is just a blip on the radar of our lives. And it's an awesome, it's awesome time to hear about yours and share mine and kind of, um, you know, be doing this kind of brotherhood together in that. Yeah. So thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story thanks with so much, Daniel. myself Appreciate and uh, the listeners. Thank you. Awesome. Great. All right. Take care, man. You too. Bye. All right, thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope the story was inspiring to you. It Hopefully, it also helped you expand your perspectives. Hopefully, it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous. Who knows? But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform, really think about being a stakeholder in the platform. And the quick way to do that is to go to my website, oldmandan.com and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com slash stakeholder. And the link is also down below. And that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe, follow to get more updates on the free content. But at the same time, also donate and donate 
by actually just buying me a coffee. That's just how I put it. And you can buy me a coffee a month, coffee a week, or coffee every day of the year. And think about it as the way that, you know, if you wanted to chat with me, you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee. Or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat, you might buy them a coffee. So I'm just think of it as I'm the service that's doing that for you. So you can just pay me in coffees. <laughs> Don't worry, uh, everything will still be free. It's just it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way, so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees, and also to buy my guests actual coffees, at, and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform, as well as even keep it operationally alive, as well because it all this does isn't really free, and it does take a lot of time to build it, as well as operate it, and hopefully grow it further. So your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder all right thank you